Welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. My name is Vic Bonacci. You can find show notes for this and all episodes online at agilecoffee.com. This is episode 50. That's a big one. Woohoo! And we celebrate it. The gang and I kind of had a thought going in that it would be a pretty fun episode to record, and it did not disappoint. So um, I hope you look forward to the next uh, Lean Coffee session that we give you here over the next hour or so. I want also to let you know that episode 51 is coming out right around the corner. It's already been edited and, uh, and set to go. It includes a very special guest. Uh, it's just two of us, Kim Brainerd and myself. Uh, Kim and I, it was announced only a few days ago now officially that the Scrum Alliance has selected Kim and I to be co-chairs for the Global Scrum Gathering San Diego 2017. Uh, the event will be in April next year, so you can go to the Scrum Alliance's website and find out more information there. Kim and I go back. Uh, we've been on a few episodes together, so you can dig through the archives there, but we're in the um, in the Scrum Coaching Retreat in March, which was held down in San Diego. And then we saw each other again for Sharon Bowman's training from the back of the room class and uh, and the subsequent Agile Global Gathering in in Orlando this past April. And you'll hear more about how kind of the decision was made to go ahead and apply to become co-chairs, what that process was like, a bit of that, and then just get to know Kim and myself also a bit more. Kim was not at Agile 2016 in Atlanta, but I was with Brett Palmer. Brett and I co-presented on the topic of pair coaching, and uh, you can find all kinds of information uh, on my website, agilecoffee.com slash coaching. Find out more there. Um, but that's also where I found the very good news. So come back again then. Listen to Kim Brainerd and myself uh, in episode 51. But for now, on to episode 50. Welcome back to the 50th episode of the Agile Coffee Podcast. My name. Hey. <laughs> Congratulations. Hey. My name is Vic Bonacci. You can reach me at Agile Coffee. I am thrilled and delighted uh, beyond words. Does that make sense? Otherwise, now I have to stop talking. <laughs> um, to have uh, very close friends here with me at my apartment today. We are recording episode 50 in a very special place, which is the place where I live. Um so thanks, guys, for showing up. Around the table, we have Larry Lawhead, Brett Palmer, and Mark Higgins. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Hello. I'm glad to be here. So uh, Larry is on Twitter, at Larry Lawhead, at Brett underscore Palmer, and Mark is at L Mark Higgins. And uh, you can find show notes for this at agilecoffee.com slash episode 50. Uh, wonderful day. Beautiful day. I'm happy to be... Uh, here at the apartment because, uh, first of all, it forced me to clean up. As you guys know, I'm living the bachelor life. My <laughs> wife and daughter are out of town for a little while. Um, I stopped at Cream Pond. I got us some donuts. I made some coffee. I've got water sponsored by Rocket 9. Thank mm -hmm. you very much, mm -hmm. Rocket 9. Um, and we've got a full slate of, of topics here in front of us, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Just a few announcements, though, before we get going, and that um, that's going to kick off uh, first of all, with this own po this podcast here, we're recording this in July. Uh, we're probably going to take a little bit of a break from the standard lean coffees uh, as we finish out the summer, and maybe pick up the um, this lean coffee format again 
uh, in September, October, something like that. Speaking of September, we have a couple of items coming up in September. Uh, first of all, a lot of you have heard already about uh, Don and Esther. That's Don Gray and Esther Derby are going to be bringing their coaching beyond the team workshop to Costa Mesa. Uh, here in California on September 13th and 14th at National University. It it really is great for Agile coaches and scrum masters because we face so many challenges and and we typically have no authority to insist that people listen uh, or do certain things. But now, um, you know, Don and Esther have developed a two-day workshop where we... uh, where they introduce uh, a number of uh, useful activities um, and techniques that will help us gain their cooperation and enhance productivity. Coachingbeyondtheteam.com has more information there. There might be a couple of seats left. Uh, if not, they may have a wait list uh, by the time you check this out. Also, our good friend Dr. Dave, Dave Cornelius, planned to join us today, but he's helping a bunch of high school students learn Agile and technology at the Five Saturdays Student Workshops. Also, did you guys know that he recently published a book? That's, oh. that's right. It's, oh, really? on, it's on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. Transforming Your Leadership Character, The Lean Thinking and Agility Way. He also created a game, Agility Leadership. Oh, we played that game over at the Scrum Alliance in Orlando. And, uh, no, the Scrum Coaching Retreat um, in San Diego. That that's right. Yeah. yeah. The Agility Leadership yeah. game. And it's uh, it, you played it, so you can speak to it. I saw it played, but I didn't play it yet. But um, both are available the book and the game on Amazon. So Agile SoCal, speaking of that, that's mm. September 15th and 16th. You can go to uh, agileopencalifornia.com for more information, but I believe we're sold out. Is that right, Larry? We had like two tickets left. Yeah. So yeah. get your name on a waiting list. Get your name on there now. Um, it should be a good time. I think it's uh, capped at 125 or so. Um, so that'll be great. Diana Larson will be opening the circle. Esther and Don also bought tickets, so uh, it'll be great oh, to have nice. you know Esther Derby and Diana together again. They'll be maybe signing copies of their retrospective book. Oh. <laughs> you never know. Bring yours. I'm bringing mine. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Agile 2016 in Atlanta. Of course, I'm speaking right. on pair coaching, and Brett yeah. is pair speaking Pretty, with me. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be awesome. Exciting. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right, so uh, I know that we have a number of great topics uh, in front of us. I think the first one that we have that we're going to go with is uh, who sets the agenda for the retrospective? So, Larry, that's your card. you want to kick us off? Yeah, this is an interesting one. You, would, you read this and you think, oh, man, that's fundamental. What are you guys doing with this? But just think of it for a moment. As a scrum master, you see, man, my team has to – they have to improve in these three or four areas. They really do. But the team itself goes – no, no, man, we, we've got to talk about something totally different. And so as a scrum master, you're, you're a servant leader, right? You're not going to put down your foot and say, sorry, guys, we're going to talk about this. Be quiet. Then you just wrecked your whole, uh, whole independence. And, there, and there's, So how do you do this in a way that you don't, don't mess up your team's initiative to self-organize. So, Larry, this is Brett. So, um, what what exactly um, do you, who 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 exactly is at this retrospective? So let's let's just start let's just start there and understand the the situation. Set us up with the scenario. Okay, here. so it's just the scrum master, and it's his team, and the team say has been has been the they believe, for example, it's. 
you go ahead and you can just go ahead and roll stuff forward if you don't get it done. So this the, is not good. So the product owner is there or not? No. Okay, not product owner is the is the scrum master's supervisor there? Scrum master set up the meeting and the scrum master has uh, has collected or been listening. So is the scrum master supervisor there at this retrospective? He's meeting? the he's the one who initiates it, but he's but, not supervising not, it. Yeah, there's no scrum master's supervisor there. Right. No like agile right. coach just, or right. Okay, so like just that. the scrum master and his He's team. the facilitator. Right, right, okay. But so it's just the scrum master and, and his team. And, and his team. The builder team. Okay. Yep. And the team is pretty convinced that certain things are okay, and you as a scrum master and a mentor know that these things are not very good mm-hmm. and not healthy for the team. They're not ready, so ready to so talk about So it should be a safe environment. Right, yeah, so it's a safe environment. So now let me ask you this. Exactly. Is the scrum master presenting with to the team the metrics that the oh, yes. scrum master has collected during the course of either that sprint or an aggregation of the previous several sprints to say, okay, team, let's look at some data. Let's take a look at how we've done. Let's look at our velocity over the last few months. Let's look at our uh, defect count. Let's just look at the, all these different things. Is, is the scrum master doing that? Oh, yes, he okay. would. I mean, well, can I, yeah, go ahead, let me in. just interject right in here. I just want to jump in. Um, what I heard Larry saying is how do I get that stuff in there and get the team buy it? Because I want to yes, have exactly. the team I want to have the team own the problem now. Mm-hmm. Yes. So basically you have to sell them the fact that well, there's a problem. I think you first have to so, show them data. Right, but what so I mean this is, is your data has to, to, to get there you first have to get their permission even to enter into a sales talk. So get it on the agenda, you mean, right? Or yeah, I mean, but you know, a retrospective agenda is pretty much predefined, right? I mean, we're going to talk about the things that mm-hmm. we liked and we want to do more of, things that we're okay and just continue, mm-hmm. and, and things that we want to fix. I mean, we know what the mm-hmm. agenda is for a retrospective, right? I mean, yeah. that's set. You're not setting that. That's just that's what the retrospective <laughs> well, agenda in, is. In a, in a general sense, it's right. set. You know, but, well, that's there what I mean, are many ways specific, to do it. But, yeah. but, yeah. but I mean, we know what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. So the agenda is how we do it. You know, the techniques we use to elicit this stuff is, is open. Mm-hmm. But in my case, I'll just give my experience type stuff, what I've done in situations like that. Because I think everybody, if you're a scrum master, if you haven't hit that situation, <laughs> you, you haven't will. been doing it for very long. Because <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's been doing it for any time at all, you run into that situation. Is I, I just state it. I tell them, look, you know, you guys have listed all this stuff. I also, I'm going to do Vic's trick of scrum master or facilitator role, but now I want to be a part of the team type stuff and talk about things I've observed and I, I put up there, right? And this is what I, as your scrum master, facilitator type stuff, here's issues that I see that we're having as a, as a group. And then the Basically, you know, and I, I just okay. Now yeah. I'm back to facilitating, and if they go, well, we're fine with that, you know, poo-poo it. Then, you know, that's like, well, can I please show so, you the information, like what Brett was talking about? Yeah. yeah. You know, so, he, in the last episode, we were talking with uh, with Zach and Alan, and I think Alan's question was uh, Alan Daly. He asked, like, what are what are some of the like moments where you won't let the team go over the cliff? where you mm-hmm. stop them. And I think some yeah, of them were cool. related to, uh, we were talking about then the retrospectives and during a retrospective where you as a scrum master have to step in. Most of the time, um, 
I tend to let the the team make their own mistakes so that they can learn from it. Yeah, exactly. But like, what are the what are the mistakes that you don't want them to make, or maybe you don't want them to repeat? I mean, right. obviously, Did if they're you? repeating the mistakes over and over, then you, you have it's incumbent upon you to step in. But um, I think the the agenda that you're talking about, the original question is who sets the agenda. Typically, I as a scrum master will kind of have a feeling of what the agenda is in terms of maybe what activities I want to bring in right. to the team. Hey, instead of doing the plus minus delta, I want to do a lean coffee today, or yeah. I want to do a, mm-hmm. a say, uh, sales and wind. What is it? Anchors and engines, yeah, or right. you know the the, the circles and balloon. soup, or or whatever yeah, it might I, be. You know, that, yeah. So I might have something yeah. in mind, but but to, more to your point, Larry, is I think if the team has a certain dysfunction that I've recognized, um, or that someone wants to wants to bring up. Um, maybe we'll talk about it in advance if it's if it's not coming from me, and then we'll go in there and we might even say, "Hey guys, hey team, we're going to start this agenda with a with a bit of a different theme. We're going to start this retro with a, a different spin." Um, in Diana and Esther's book, they have five stages to an agenda. So you were kind of alluding to that, Mark. Mm-hmm. You said the agenda that we kind of follow in a general sense. Um, goes with uh, set the stage, gather data, like analyze the data. I'm making this up. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Um, number four is uh, come up with conclusions or action items and then close it out. Um, and I think that in setting the stage, that initial part, you can say, hey, we're going to try these activities today or, hey, let's focus on this one issue. It was brought up a few times. Or you go off site by the beach. Or potentially, you know, if you have something in mind and you don't want to address it, maybe you want to see if it's addressed by the team and then you Mm -hmm. can kind of help steer them that way. And there's, I think, subtle language cues and kind of uh, gestures that you can do if you're kind of taking notes on a whiteboard or something like that. You might circle it three or four times (laughs) or really like, yeah, let's go back to this item, you know, if they don't give it enough attention in your opinion. But as scrum master or coach, I think it is your responsibility to not give them a free pass if they're trying to skirt the issue that might be important. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. I, I, I talked a bit, but I... <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think that, you know, sometimes uh, what I'm noticing is that in the, in the effort to try to get things done, sometimes, you know, I've seen and observed other scrum masters not giving their team adequate time to do a full retrospective. That retrospective is a conference call, especially if you have a remote team that might be a 30 minute conference call and that's it. And there's nothing really special about it than any other conference call that people have, Mm -hmm. have all day long back to back. And so, um, certainly if you really want to get that, um, you know, really like really sink in and really understand deeper at deeper levels, I think, you know, you're going to need more than just a half hour, of retrospective time with your team oh, yeah. and um, certainly make it a non-negotiable uh, requirement for the team because sometimes I've seen uh, and observed teams where they say, oh, well, because of the pressure on and because, mm-hmm. you know, we've had to cut corners, uh, we're just going to skip the retrospective this sprint. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I've observed that and I'm shaking my head with all that whole thing because it's like, wait, you so know, we don't have two questions improve, for you, you, know. for you yeah, Brett. Exactly. And I want to try to keep it back to your your topic there Larry but um but one first of all what's what's kind of a minimum if there is such a thing a minimum time for a retrospective and then secondly do you have any tips for doing a remote retrospective with a team that's not co-located and 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 yeah. again going back to like who sets the agenda if if you have an agenda like 
does it can it fit in a thirty minute time box well, or do you need something bigger? Well, right. Or? So now, if we're talking about a single team, you know, that's retrospecting every two weeks, seven plus or minus two teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe an maybe a two hours would be sufficient, or an hour and a half would be sufficient if you're remote. But um, if you're talking about like an entire release train, doing an inspect and adapt workshop, mm-hmm. certainly need more mm-hmm. than thirty minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> especially if you've got like seven or eight teams that all have to retrospect. That's going to be very difficult to do all that and really and really do anything more than just document people's sentences in thirty minutes. So, um, so if we're if we're talking about a single team doing a retrospective every sprint and you've got a normal two week sprint and the the team is uh, is is remote, you've got people. Then at that point, I would try to leverage video conferencing, certainly enable WebEx if that's an option, or some kind of Skyping might be impossible, Mm -hmm. or even um, if those types of tools are blocked by your enterprise Mm -hmm. uh, IT department, maybe have a a conversation with people and say, okay, well, maybe, you know, we can all use our phones and go into some other kind of, uh, you know, system where we're all kind of being able to see each other. And think, Starbucks. You know, yeah. I mean, there might be, you know, there might be something that you can do, especially if the majority of the team is in one location, or let's say you're all on, one, you know, two or three sites within a given city. Maybe those people in, at that uh at that at those sites in that city, like okay. if you've got one location in the Midwest, for example, mm-hmm. maybe those two or three sites in California or those two or three sites in uh, the Midwest can get together. You know, like you said, maybe at, you know at Starbucks or something like that, um, and and retrospect yeah. like that. Um, that would help certainly if you've got offshore being aware of the when you schedule that mm-hmm. um, the retrospective oh, yeah. giving them plenty of notice because sometimes the offshore folks have to stay late or make arrangements to either go back to go back to their you know city especially if you're doing a retrospective on a Friday so, or a Friday night. So I want to bring it back to um, again the topic of setting the agenda. So if you have mm-hmm. an offshore team and I don't know Larry if you've worked with offshore teams. Oh yeah, lots. So so how does this impact? crafting an agenda when you have people who aren't in the same room with you uh is it is it easy to accommodate their their needs or do you ask them to kind of come up with what do they want to talk about i mean i guess that's what a retrospective is yeah, anyway what, but, what i've done just yeah. to answer my own question here what yeah. i've done in the past is just asked gone through the typical three questions uh there's so many retrospectives you could do and i really like mixing it up but yeah. if it's tough like when you have a remote team I find it best if you just stick with the basics, you know, what went well, what could have done, what we could you have done better, and and then push to get this, what is our improvement goal for the next sprint? Mm-hmm. And that usually works out, but where, where it rubs me a little bit is when the team doesn't quite get it. And then I'm, I'm tempted to say, listen, guys, you just don't get it. We have to focus on this. But you, you, you push hard, and then what happens is then they start being self-organized, and that's a real... It's a real important balance there. You don't want to mess up their self-organization because there's a lot of really powerful stuff that comes out of self-organization. So it's like you're dancing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so you got to sell them on the fact that A is a problem. What do you think? And sometimes it take, it's taken me a couple of retrospectives to get there, but it, they usually catch on. But when they don't, then it's a little bit of a... Uh, well, I think your thing is 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 right there. Is what you said the last time. Is it's like it took you it takes you a couple of retrospectives. If they don't see it, if, but if you just keep bringing it up as a problem, 
that you know I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the guy on the outside. I can see that this is what's happening. Brett's thing. What are your metrics? You just keep showing. I think that's that's how you sell it. So the you numbers. Just, you just speak. you just have the metrics and you just yeah. keep bringing it up. And eventually, I think because people are smart. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and they're going to figure it out. Um, one of the things I'd like to also point out is that if you're working with remote teams and you've got people that are offshore, offshore, I've um, had separate retrospectives with just the offshore team mm-hmm. at, a, at, a t- at a time during their day mm-hmm. so that they're not inconvenienced either late at night or early mm-hmm. in the morning. So And then brought back that feedback back to the team onshore. Um, so it, it helps to kind of mix it up and try different approaches. But sometimes um, because of cultural issues, if you're all in one big meeting together and there is, let's say you've got a larger team, maybe 12 to 17 type folks, and half your team is offshore, half the team's onshore, some, sometimes your offshore folks um, culturally might not be inclined to speak, speak up. up. Yeah, right. exactly. um, and so by maybe splitting, splitting it in, in half, and then as a scrum master, you go in and you keep like a separate retrospective or you partner with if you're lucky to have a counterpart scrum master for a different team or somebody there who's who's also offshore as an agile coach that can just run that for you or you can dial in and run that um it would kind of help to kind of really spend some time with with those people to be able to solicit input all right, very good. So, so what about you? How do you set your agenda, or what other topics? Uh, what other thoughts do you have on on agendas for remote teams? Let us know by using the hashtag #TellAgileCoffee. Our next topic is middle management and agile adoption. Wow, middle managers—that's a hard topic to uh, to breach when you're working on site with middle <laughs> managers, right? Because it seems to be the elephant in the room whenever you walk into an organization you either you typically get the buy-in from the teams and and you can you can maybe get the buy-in from from up above whether you say it's genuine or not but but that middle management buy-in is something that's so elusive and uh and that's where it seems that most of the pain and fear and uncertainty and doubt is in the organization what do you got on that larry well i i got to thinking about this when i was listening to episode 45 where you were in a company uh doing a doing Agile Coffee, and, and the whole thing of the middle manager came up, and it really got me thinking, because I know from my experience, this is where, well, for me personally, this is where it's really stuck most of the time. You can't get beyond the middle manager. The middle manager doesn't have real buy-in, or he's doing it only because he's told he has to. Or he read about it in a book somewhere, but the whole point is it's a, not a true conversion of the heart, so to speak. And so I've spent some time after listening to um, episode 45 thinking about this, and I believe... One of the deals is you've got a middle manager is a middle manager for a specific reason. It's because mm-hmm. he wants to go up, right? He wants to doesn't want to be a middle manager of his whole life long. He wants to be the top dog or whatever. And so his his uh, his whole idea of why he's working and where he's headed is is at risk here. And so he wants to maintain, I've seen at least the middle managers that I work with or have worked with, most of them want to really maintain tight control on the environment because they don't want to look bad. And so, and if they look bad, they feel like their their future's at stake here. And so in a tightly controlled environment, you're not going to be very agile. And so you've got this tenseness and you've got this 
back and forth a lot of times. And so I'm trying to think, how do you... The transition that takes place is a very important one because he goes from being a control person to a mentor. And I believe it, if, if, a, if a middle manager were to see this opportunity, most of them would jump on it. But even if they become a mentor, now can, you, can I still guarantee him, can I still tell him, but your future is okay, you will get to that next step in your career. Do, do mentors go to the next step in their career? I believe so. But how do you help this guy get rid of these fears? It's a tough one. What are you squinting at there, Brett? I'm squinting at the... I'm just trying to analyze the context in which he's using the word mentor. Ah, okay. You want to dive in? Yeah, that? yeah. Because, yeah. listen, if I were... Okay, this is me. If I were a middle manager, and, and back in the day, I, I, I had a lot of teams that I led when I was in nonprofit work, and one of my major concerns was making the people that I lead better than me. Mm. And that was... I had a lot of fun doing that. And some of them got pretty good. And that was... Part of my whole thing, anyhow, my, was to get get a uh, get a certain program to a part where they don't need you anymore, and then you can move on to the next program. Yeah, and so that I know for a fact that that works real well. But then in the corporate world, um, there's a lot of fear and apprehension, and, and it, there it goes back, I think, to the whole idea of business and you know the, there's the whole thing of the post world war 2 thing where you had to command and control and then even before then the project management history around the turn of the century there there were a lot of scientific uh, approaches to project management all had to do with me controlling the environment and so now you get middle managers that feel if they can't control their environments that they're, they're going to lose their future and it they don't need to but i how do I help the middle manager feel relaxed and know that, listen, your roles, you're still a middle manager, it's fine, but instead of command and control, let's try to promote the people that you work with. Let's be more of a, a, a mentor. But that, that is a little hard to get. And that's what you're talking to right there is actually the whole crux of a of an organizational transformation if mm-hmm. it wants to be truly agile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it wants to be truly agile, organization needs to go away from that wonderful cross-matrix yeah. thing where our focus is on utilization of individuals and we're trying to make sure that everybody's 125% <laughs> max, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and, and working, right? Um, and... You know, an organization isn't going to make that transformation unless the middle manager who used to own the development team, used to own the QA team, used to own the DBA team, and then he would lend them out at his discretion to to a project that's trying to develop something. But he could pull that resource back at any time at his own whim. Yeah. Um, Has to let go of that, that he has to do what you're talking about. Your job now... You don't own those resources anymore. They're actually a part of a team that's focused on a product. Your job now is the mentor. Your job is to try to make the DBAs, the QA people, all the analysts, and everybody, whatever role it is that they're in, better. Yeah. Right? You're supposed to help them. You're, you're, you're saying that that's a pretty big job. I mean, because if I think of myself as... Job. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, it's, if I think of myself as an agile coach or a scrum master, right. you know, you can almost be interchangeable in this respect but mm-hmm. but I come into an organization 
at first you think very tactically, I'm working with my team, my immediate team, the scrum teams, right? right. Um, maybe more than one team. Maybe there's some training that has to go on at the team level. So I'm expanding my job role already. And then I start thinking, well, the next step is like working with the senior management. Okay, yeah, exactly. someone's a sponsor, someone's bought in. Maybe not they're not all bought in, but they need more conversation going from me to them and back, right? So they need to know why why we're doing Agile, what it means, how that means a mind shift is going to happen to the whole organization, that type of thing. So there's conversations going on there. Um, but, I mean, that whole middle manager part is often overlooked as a mm-hmm. new Agile coach, a scrum master yeah. coming into an organization. That's kind of the furthest thing from your mind because you're thinking of the tactical with the teams. You're thinking of the sponsorship relationships. But, I mean, that's a full-time job. But if you want to be successful. Yeah, this is why it's so important that you have executive leadership on Mm buy-in and that, uh, you know, you've got some somebody really at the top that's saying this is how we're going to be doing it. But but not just command and controlling our Agile. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You don't want to certainly do that. And there's other things like, uh, you know, where you can run an open space and try to collectively get people's buy-in. Um, and things and some some models like that. But you know, if the organization wants to do the transformation, well, I would they're, ask they're, why. Right. right I would, but, I would but, say, okay, we but, we want to understand why. But assume they want to do it. They've already okay. they've, they've got their established. They yeah. want to do it. The thing is, is the path is has to be is the reason why that manager's concerned is because he's still being measured. On the mm-hmm. command and control metrics. Uh huh. Yeah, you're right. His bonus, his promotion, is all driven by those metrics. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> you're taking away the drivers to use Brett's word that he doesn't like mm-hmm. of those metrics, and he no longer gets to <laughs> right, control right, right. that. So where that needle goes right. on those metrics, he doesn't he have doesn't any control. Know. If I was in that position, I would be concerned because I've got you know a mortgage payment, a car payment, and my kids' tuition. Yep. You know. And now all of a sudden you tell me you have no control over it, but you're being judged as if you did. You're, you're, usually they're being judged by some red-green um, mm-hmm. dashboard, dashboard reports, you know, and yeah. things like that instead of actual working software. Like I've been in programs mm-hmm. that have sunk millions of dollars and have no working software to show for it. And you're yeah. like, oh, oh, well, God. what if their role yeah. is changing? I mean, if their role is changing, that's that's a good thing, but even then they're reluctant to... Or maybe they don't know how to adapt to their new role because they're not used to it. So I want to I want to just bring up um, a, a friend of ours, uh, M. Campbell Pretty. She's uh, she's in she's I believe she's in Australia, but she speaks a lot on the topic. She's got a topic called thawing the frozen middle, and she spoke mm-hmm. at the um, the Scrum Gathering. I think she'll be at Agile 2016 also. But but in in there she, she and I'm just reading the bullet points from a screen. Um, some tips with working with these uh, middle managers. One, tap into your own empathy. So get yourself into that middle manager's shoes, right? Mm-hmm, right? Be a friendly ear. Engage them in conversation. Listen to them. Don't preach to them. Don't teach them. First, just listen. Open yourself up and, and hear their concerns. Um, encourage and enable learning. So a lot of times they don't know how to learn about their new position. So Get out there, offer books, offer suggested things to uh, to participate in, whether it's meetups or conferences or videos or whatever it is. But make that stuff available because sometimes, like you guys are saying, they're they're maybe too prideful these middle yeah. managers to even ask like what what to do next, and no one's given it to them, so they're always uh, thinking that they have to find it on their own. So make that available, and then help them to display vulnerability 
because once they can kind of let their own selves be vulnerable, then that opens them up to a trusting relationship. Then they can be in the trust mm -hmm. others and others can trust them. So trust goes uh, uh, a long, long way in helping this uh, transition for them. And just finally, the transition is so difficult, so you just have to make sure that there's a support network all around them. Um, because without those middle managers, mm -hmm. I mean, your transformation is is stuck. Mm -hmm. right. Or there's a bullet missing, and that is um, mm -hmm. to help them find a waterfall job. Well, I mean, that is it's a joke, but it's, it's no, also a good point. I mean, whether they're middle, whether yeah. they're middle managers or whoever, if people are having a very difficult time, despite best efforts from not only you but the the whole environment yeah. all around you. And they're not fitting in. Yeah, we have to help them find another Sometimes. role where they can. And there fit will in. be opportunities for yeah. them to fit in with a more um, command and control yeah. leadership style. But you know, the thing is, is you were talking about when we're coaching. If you're coaching executive level, the sponsor, and you're coaching the team, and you're, we're forgetting about that middle part of coaching the executive, is to tell them, look, the team's easy. Making that change, you know, I'm holding my hands up so people can't mm. see it. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, the the team's easy. I mean, it's just, I mean, that's easy. The people doing the work, they love this stuff. They usually you know, get right, 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 right. They yeah. get it pretty quick. I mean, even the resistors get it pretty quick. After a little while, they look around. And they're like, yeah, this is great. You know, I don't think we have a lot of problem with that. And you got the executive sponsor. The executive sponsor has to realize and know that look, as part of your job as executive sponsor is to help those middle guys. You need to change their metrics. You know, if yeah, you want you this to happen, you've got to stop measuring your middle managers on the old metrics. And that's a hard thing for the executives to want to do because they want to have two things. <laughs> they want all the benefits of agility, but they still want to have command and control themselves. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. And they have to realize that you have to let that, that command and control aspect go yourself so that your middle managers can let it go and make sure the transformation to agility is, is I would is I would say, though, that I don't always agree that it's a slam dunk with teams, especially if you have teams that are working on legacy mainframes and you've got legacy... Um, Which is easy. I mean, I think that's the easy well, part. Well, I, 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 think, I think they're just two different things yeah. that you've got to try to you mm -hmm. know, juggle. Right. You know. um, Interesting. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, too, here that... As a scrum facilitator, a coach, and a scrum master, I've got to help the middle manager develop a vision for his yeah. his his professional career. Absolutely. And I think that is probably, you know, we talk about how much can I sell the team on a point that I want to get into the retrospective. Mm -hmm. It becomes even bigger or more challenging here to help a middle manager create a new vision for his career but it's something that I, I need to spend some time thinking about and find out what his concerns are address them and give him a, a real taste of what he, how far he can really go by What's being a servant leader yeah all right uh really great topic thanks guys that was uh that's something i think we can come back to again and again but um, let's move on our next topic let's see mark you wrote uh, agile project manager is it an oxymoron I love that topic. <laughs> Kick us off with that. Okay, so before we started recording, uh, Brett and I were kind of like talking about project management and PMPs and whether or not you can be a trained project manager, a real project manager, and be agile. Um, we were kind of like talking about whether or not just the whole 
thing is is based on waterfall. That if if you're a PMP and if you're a project manager, you're locked into into waterfall methodology. So just just for those who aren't familiar so, with the lingo, a PMP is the PMI organization's project management professional. professional. They subscribe to the PM body of knowledge. That's right. Yeah. PMBOK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, project management body of knowledge. And so there's all these areas. They've got I forget how many now, ten or eleven uh, knowledge areas and stuff like that that you're supposed to be working across this domain uh, as a project manager. And, ma- and, and multiple hats. And so, multiple so, hats. Yeah, so right. as a project manager, you're wearing, I don't know, like over 40 different hats at any given point, right? doing different things, managing different areas and aspects of the, pro- you know, the project. Risk right. management, communications yeah. management. Human staffing, mm-hmm. you know, right. quality. Mm-hmm. Right, schedule, all, all that fun stuff. Resource, yeah. Yeah, really budget, all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and my contention is, is that... Uh, a project manager can actually actually practice agility. Cannot uh, is that can can, can. Okay. yes. Um, that you can you can you can be in a project manager role, still empower teams, still have teams self managing, still do all that stuff. I mean, um, I'm a PMP uh, um, myself, as well as a Scrum Master and product owner and all that fun stuff. I have all those certifications, whatever they mean. But my experience has always been is that. If I want to be successful, if I want to actually see our product, whatever it is that we're building, get built, is I've always had to rely on the team mm-hmm. to do it. When I was wearing the project manager hat, whether I'm wearing the scrum master hat, I, I noticed I still work the same way because the goal is to get the product out the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, That's the most important thing. And I think project managers, and I've seen a number of project managers who aren't scrum masters, but they work that same way. Um, so my contention is is that yes you can you can work and uh, and be a uh, project manager but not be and do all the project management things but not be tied to a waterfall methodology. Um, I don't know. It's just it's kind of. Well, yeah. I'm I'm a PMP too, you're right. but your your question was uh, agile no project question. manager isn't an oxymoron. Yeah, same. I think it just really can just <laughs> well, I, there's just so much to this. I think yeah. number one, when we are looking at the structure of like the PMBOK, mm-hmm. okay, and we are looking at all the different knowledge areas and that whole thing. Um, and when we when we look at something like Scrum, for example, some of what is happening in a project manager's world in PMBOK world. Mm-hmm then get spread out across multiple roles with exactly. Scrum. For example, mm-hmm. it might be the Scrum Master, it might be the product owner, exactly. it might be the team. Right. So right. so that... You can that, almost take the yeah. list from, yeah, from the same box and, same and do it like a racy matrix yeah. or well, something. Right. So, so a lot of the similar types of activities are happening. They're just happening in a different way with, with, with more of like Scrum type of framework, okay? Right. Um, but now, can a project manager that's managing, let's say, an IT ops group or some kind of an infrastructure or help desk, um, you know, could they use Kanban and, and, and demonstrate some kind of agility mm-hmm. with that in their mindset? Well, then, in that regard, I would say sure. You know, they can they can inspect and adapt. They can improve. They can empower their teams. None of that none of that is being prevented by using the PMBOK, but my observation of the type of people that are doing strictly PMBOK type 
waterfall type work, you have more of these command and control mindsets yeah. mm-hmm. that would preclude you from from being that way. But it's, I wouldn't say right. that it's impossible. I would just say more likely to go the other way. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't disagree yeah. with that. I say a lot of you see a lot of guys who are into the command and yeah. control. But the thing is, is I think um, we're having an earlier discussion that people who are experienced in project management learn. I can't control the random stuff that happens. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that's the thing that kills so many people who are into command and control. Yeah. It doesn't matter what environment you're in, is that stuff happens. And if you're not set to be adaptive... Well, and the thing is, is too, is a lot of these pro- project managers are working with matrixed teams. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they they go to their programmer, and the programmer says, yeah, I'll have that week from Friday, and then two days before Friday comes, project managers check in, how are we doing? Oh, I'm still at 80%. Oh, you were at 80% last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I'm doing this other thing instead that's a higher priority. Yep. There goes that whole, you know, now everything's in red. Yeah, right. so... Yeah. Which is, again, that so it goes almost, sometimes right. it goes beyond just what the project manager is doing. Sometimes yep. it just goes to the fact that, okay, you don't have de- dedicated Dedic- teams, team. and now you're right. managing to this whole other dynamic. Right. Yep. It's not so much the, uh, the the framework that the the PMBOK promotes, but it's the environment in which it lives. This is, you've got, again, you've got managers expecting these these things to happen, and you've got, other departments expecting certain things to happen. Then you've got your team all spread out and not really dedicated, and it becomes a mess. So it's not so much the the framework necessarily, but it's the environment in which that framework works. Which is what happens in the scrum button environment. Exactly. When, oh, they're, when they're in a cross-matrix environment, they don't want to set up a dedicated team, but they want to do scrum. But it's, it's and like, you, get the, you, you have that in that environment, you have that exact same conversation mm-hmm. that you had in the traditional project management environment where you come up and you talk to the to the guy who's doing the work and he's like, yeah, I'm sorry, I haven't been able to work on it all week because my boss came yeah, and moved boss, me yeah. over here. Yeah. Let me ask you something here because I, I, I just thought of this. So in a scrum bot environment, do you think that shorter sprint lengths, like a one-week sprint, would make that work better? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah because it's the only way yeah. to get it to go. The only, only way yeah. to make it go. Yeah. If you're going to work, do scrum butt, yeah. you need short, 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 short sprints. Yeah. Sp- and if you're in that environment, <laughs> I mean, you know, I as a, and when I've been working as a project manager in that type of environment, I'm walking around every day because I know I yeah. could lose a resource and, and and the resource feels no obligation to tell me because it's his boss that's yeah. doing it. His his boss. So that's not even really yeah. scrum. That's no. just more like oh, I'm yes. doing a one week sprint, and we're going to go through a couple things that feel like it sounds agile, but it's really not. And, and or at least that's not scrum. You it's know. not. It's not true scrum because right. the teams aren't dedicated. Let me ask but. one last question, and then I want to tie up this topic. But sure. uh, the agile project manager, if you ever get a call from a recruiter or you apply oh, to a job that says agile project manager. Is there anything that you try to either ask or say in the call or anything? Sure. I mean, I call them Franken-jobs. And I get Uh uh, recruiters emailing me and sending me stuff all the time. And uh, I've even so far, like a while back, a couple years ago, I even had a phone interview or two with, with a company. And just within the first half hour, you know, um, they asked me what I thought, and I said, "Well, a few red flags have gone up." To be 
perfectly honest and they asked me why and I shared with them, well, mm-hmm. you know, this, for this reason and that reason and, you know, they were, they were a new company that was going to Scrum and they wanted a Scrum Master right out the gate to manage four different teams and mm-hmm. again, not impossible, but a really red, like one of many red flags <laughs> that kind of went up and go like, you know, now I have seen, you know, a scrum master, a scrum master work with four different teams, but you might need like really seasoned product owners that oh, yeah, might definitely. be able to take on some of those scrum master duties for those teams or to like teams unblock to them. Yeah. I mean, teams there, have to there be are, mature. there yeah. are ways. I'm not saying it's impossible, but again, you know, when you, hear, when, when you, yeah, when you're brand new and you hear things like that, uh, especially during, you know, an interview or something like that, you're like, okay, this Frank job, you know, red flag. Um, so, uh, so did that answer your question? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, or where yeah. they're trying to combine a scrum master and a project manager yeah. and a business analyst. And so many. A, I don't even know, answer a QA those. person and you know, just, just, like they're just trying to, they're trying to like yeah. Without doing what 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 Brett is doing and having that conversation with the either the recruiter or the HR person or or whoever's making the jobs, we can't change the conversation. And and if you just if you just don't apply to them, I mean that's fine because you don't want that type of job anyway. But maybe there's an opportunity for you they're, to have a conversation. They're interesting oh, yeah. conversations. I've I've had I've gone on those interviews all the time because I just like challenging situations and those are challenging. <laughs> well, situations. maybe you do want that type of job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of fun because yeah. you're going to be a change agent when you go into a oh, yeah, situation like yeah. that. Yeah, you know, which is which is fun. So if you like being a change agent, those are good jobs to go into. You just have to realize they're going to be stressful. Uh, the folks don't realize it, but the feedback I get is really interesting on, on those type of interviews is because some people think agile is going back to cowboy coding, no discipline or anything like that. So if that's the group, if Team that's self-organizing, that's, yeah, self-organizing, we, we do what we want, you know, when we want, however we want. Um, and, you know, we just don't have any sort of disciplines. Um, so those teams, when I'm talking to them, think, um, too much of a hard ass because <laughs> I talked about discipline and achieving goals and set, setting goals and achieving goals and that's what we do as a team. You know, we set and achieve goals. Um, on the other side, if you've got management and they're trying to make this "quote unquote" transition because someone took an airplane ride and read an article in the in-flight magazine <laughs> and now they're all enthusiastic, they think when I talk about self-organizing, self-managing teams, they think I'm too slack. Mm-hmm. Right, because mm-hmm. you're trying to fly down that middle, and they're not really sure what it is that they want to do. They just saw this thing, like I said, in, in the magazine, Forbes or whatever. They talk about agility, and now we got to do it. Mm-hmm. Not sure what it means. So you know, those are those are interesting interviews to go on to. If you can get the thing, it could be a it could be a fun job if you like challenges. Let us know if you like challenges. <laughs> Use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee and share your stories about Agile project management or anything else that we're talking about, including experience with scrum patterns. So uh, Larry has a website that he's rather fond of, and he shared with us in the past um, this this website. Do you want to share the name of the website with us? Yeah. Well, you have to do a Google search for scrum patterns, and it comes up, but it's something like scrum Plop.org or something like Scrumplop.org. that. Scrumplop.org. And, and so, we'll yeah. have a link to it in the show notes at agilecoffee.com slash episode 50. It, wow, the, 50. The idea behind these patterns are two, twofold. First of all, as a programmer, 
you adhere to patterns. You're always trying to read up on the newest patterns for this, and it really you learn a lot, and it makes your code clean, and it helps the process. and And there there are Scrum patterns that do the same thing. And I wanted to bring this up because I thought I'd like to hear if you guys have done these and what kind of experiences have you had with them. Now, and when you hear these, you're going to go, "What? That's a pattern?" But it's a pattern. So I'll just read these off to you real quick. There's stable teams. Uh, five five team members are the most efficient. There's been a lot of interesting studies about that. And by the way, this uh, website, you can submit a pattern, but it's peer reviewed and it doesn't get published unless it passes that peer review. So it's pretty it's pretty good. I like this. So stable teams. Yesterday's weather is a really nice one too. It's where you where you um, you gauge then your velocity for your new your 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 new sprint based on your pre, your uh, previous sprint. So you baseline it on that. It's it's really quite it works. It really it's kind of interesting. And swarming one piece continuous flow. For example, when you have uh, you have a ticket assigned to a uh, a team member, and that team member is struggling with it. And during the during your daily standups, you find out he's struggling. Guess what? Then it's all hands on deck to get that first priority issue taken care of. And so it's not like, well, it's your ticket you're responsible for. Mm-hmm. No, it's you, it's your ticket, but we're all responsible for it. And what the pattern uh, explains is that uh, then the person to whom it's assigned is kind of like the chief mm-hmm. uh, developer on it, but everybody helps them get it done because we have to get the you, mm-hmm. your your backlog is prioritized, top to the bottom. You got to get that first thing out the door. And so that's the swarming thing. And interrupt patterns. When I've le- learned interrupt pattern, I've uh, used a lot. It's where um, you, your team keeps getting interrupted by help desk tickets and stuff. <laughs> Photo time here. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's in there too. So these are these are all patterns: daily clean code, emergency procedures, daily scrumming the clean scrum. Code, good. Uh-huh. So they're they're what, all there. What's on scrumming the scrum? Scrumming the scrum. And what, what's that about? That's a retrospective on the retrospective. Nice. Uh, and it helps your it helps your overall process get better, not mm-hmm. just say picking one or two things out, mm-hmm. but you you it steps back. Uh, meta, uh, yeah, you get a meta view of your Scrum process, and it really helps you, especially if you have more than a, a few Scrum teams. Those those you can do a retrospective at that level. Mm-hmm. Yes. So these all help you be, have uh, super productive teams, these patterns. This so, feels like okay. something you would want, like, big and visible in the team's area, or in your area anyway, so you can always just be have the, have these on the front of your mind so that you can go around looking for patterns or oh, looking yeah. for the absence of these patterns, right? Yes, exactly. That's how I handle it. So I, d- I just wanted to know, how, do you, how have you guys done this? Have you, had, have you used interrupt patterns or yesterday's weather or stable teams is almost like a given. It's like you don't have a stable team. What do you have got? A mess, you know? Uh, so I just wanted to know if, uh, <clears throat> if you've had experience with these patterns, either knowingly or unknowingly. I think definitely. Um, I, I mean, yesterday's weather, swarming, um, the interrupt pattern, stable teams, scrumming the scrums. I haven't necessarily called them that, but yeah, that's something that they seem to come up from time to time, and 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 we have teachable moments on, mm-hmm. on them. Um, but I think having them, like I said, having them visible and available to me, kind of more conscious, I could be more conscious of them, uh, would probably be a little bit more helpful too. So I'm definitely going to check out the scrum plop. 
dot uh, org website and and if there was a poster that they had or something like that like a oh, one of those visual nice. graphics you know yeah. something like that would be would be amazing so there's a there's a tip for anyone out there who's graphically inclined make a poster, poster. on the top top patterns from yeah. scrum plop yeah, an, inf- yeah. an infographic would be really nice yes yeah, yeah. uh, jeff sutherland's site yeah, Jeff yeah he's site. all over that so, yeah. yeah i was just yeah. looking at it here while we're talking it's like oh okay this is pretty cool it has a lot it's not graphically the nicest looking right. but boy it, it sure looks has a lot of... it looks like 1996 <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it doesn't have the blinking text so maybe 1998 <laughs> yeah. or something yeah. but i i've i've gone here many a time when i'm thinking of my team and like oh man you know something's not working right mm-hmm. i go to that and just start reading the patterns again and it's oh yeah we could it's like the, like i said this interrupt pattern has saved my neck more than Mm-hmm. Uh, talk, talk us through an example. Yeah, the, the current team that I have right now is a team that's working on a, a legacy application. So it's been around for 20 years. It's incredible. It's done, done in progress. Mm. <laughs> it's like, like can I hardly find a progress developer these days. Huh. But the, the point is, um, and the enterprise keeps wanting to update it. And so now it's interesting to note, too, that at the same time now there's this new initiative to redo the whole thing. But my team's responsibility is to... You know, keep the fires burning, keep the keep the doors open. Yeah. And so we we do yeah. upgrades to the current system, and we're we're fixing stuff all the time. And one of the um one of the our responsibilities is to keep our eye on the help desk tickets. And when one comes in, it's you got to do it. But these are it's unplanned work. How in the world do you plan for unplanned work? Well, the interrupt pattern helps you figure that out. And so far as you just watch your numbers, and you know that over the last three sprints. Uh, so and so many points, or in this case, we have to keep track of hours because that's how the enterprise wants us to do it. So, so and so many hours were spent on average on these uh, interruptions from the help desk, and so we planned it in. So, I create a ticket, and I this ticket has 120 hours in it, or whatever, mm-hmm. and and then I watch it. I have my little dashboard, and I see it burn down. And when I get close to zero, I know that we have to do something. So, the pattern yeah. says. The pattern says when you when you hit zero, you stop the sprint, and you do the whole sprint planning all over again, and, and it's a big deal. And, and your mm-hmm. um, executives don't really want you to see, throw the sprint out the window because mm-hmm. it slows stuff down really bad. So this interruptions come with the cost, and the cost is when I reach zero, we stop. Now, having said that, in the organization that I currently work in, that's not an option. I can't do it. <laughs> but at least I can tell my business people we're getting close to zero. Something's going to have to probably go out of this sprint. And that they like. They'll go, okay, we'll take a lower priority mm-hmm. ticket. We'll take a lower priority story. Something they haven't started yet. Yeah, uh, something they hopefully. haven't started yet. And we'll just throw it out. Yeah, and then that gives me, then I take that amount of mo- money, <laughs> that amount of time and add it to. Time is money. So. Time, yeah, add it to my interrupt uh, ticket. And then we, we, we've got some more, we've recharged it kind and then we can keep going. And so that's how we get around that problem. But it does give me uh, advance warning. And that's what the, the enterprise I work with currently yeah. likes more than anything else is if something's going on, tell me as early as possible. This interrupt pattern, even though we're not able to do it perfect, uh, helps me take care of that. And it's saved me a lot of trouble. What I'd love is, again, I, I, I'm thinking visually. So, yeah, an infographic or something like that. But just coming up with our own patterns. Maybe there's other mm-hmm. patterns that, that we use, that we employ all the time or we've seen that, that we can add to the list. So, again, a shout-out to our listening audience. If you can think of any other patterns that you think go on there, 
Use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. Yeah. Throw the hashtag Scrum Patterns in there, too, why don't you? I can uh, think of some Agile coaching patterns. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, this is a good one. coaching, maybe? Yeah. yeah, there you go. Hey, we've got one last topic. Let's jump into that right now, and that is uh, less versus safe. And now these are both the scaling um, frameworks. Scaling less and right. Safe. So this is Brett, and a couple of days ago we we met locally at a local Agile coffee that was not recorded, and one of this <laughs> this topic actually came up. I think we were all there too. Yeah, yeah we, we were all were. there. Yeah. I think Larry. I think this was originally your topic, and then I kind of well, gave my perspective. This is, you can't pass this up. Yeah. It's too good. So so <laughs> I thought I would uh, share share with it. We so, wanted an encore presentation. I guess. Yeah. Right. So you know, yeah. I had taken the uh, SPC training um, almost a couple of years, almost two years ago yeah. uh, with, with Scaled Agile. That's the SAFE program consultant certification training. It's four days. As well as then a few months ago, I had taken the large-scale Scrum with uh, Craig Larman. Uh, that's three days uh, with his framework, which is large-scale Scrum or commonly called LESS. And so the I think the, the question then here would be like looking at the two different um, paradigms and really kind of saying, well, what is the big you know, what are the big here key differences here or similarities? And, um, my, you know, my, my perspective, I thought, you know, they're, th- I think they're both, um, really interesting. Um, I, I, I do like, um, I do like less and a lot of the things that they say, um, really make sense to me, especially when you look under the hood, uh, at some of the deeper aspects of scaling and some of the problems that you get when you actually have, uh, like, for example, when you have componentized teams instead of feature teams, you get into some complexities with some layers of extra management, um, which SAFE doesn't really address. It just mm-hmm. manages to that, whereas in less, there's really more of a focus to really try to change the underpinning the actual structure. Because when you can change the structure of your organization, that's when the culture change can come exactly. from that. So there were some really interesting um, takeaways that I had where SAFE is more like a methodologist approach, whereas uh, in less, I felt like it was more of organizational change and what has come from some of the work that Craig Larman had seen um, and Busvode uh, as they put this uh, large-scale Scrum framework together. Um, just and, and something that I had shared the other day, but just the concept of a scrum of scrums. I know that mm-hmm. a lot of teams, especially when you're scaling, will have a scrum of scrums. This is something that uh, Scaled Agile will prescribe. It makes sense intuitively. You say, oh, okay, well, we have our daily scrum, so why wouldn't the program have a scrum of scrums every every couple of you know a couple times a week, possibly? Um, whereas with large scale scrum, in the less the less approach is say, no, we don't want to have that and. And, and Craig makes a very good point, and the point is, okay, well, if you've got a, a scrum of scrums happening on a Tuesday afternoon and you, your developer on one of your teams comes up with a problem on a Friday afternoon, he's going to naturally want to wait until Tuesday afternoon to, for that scrum of scrums to address it. Whereas, So in a way, you're kind of like building in your your waste and in and, and, mm-hmm. and that more of that safe model. And so you're like, oh, well, that's really interesting. I mean, it's just... A fascinating just paradigm shift between the two, the two, two approaches. Now, I do think though that um, with less, you would want to have really 
seasoned or aspire to be really seasoned developers Mm -hmm. where uh, developers that have checked their ego at the door Mm -hmm. developers that you know are embracing this learning organization where they're not afraid to do qa where everybody is a developer like it doesn't matter we're all there swarming around the work to be done we're all going to help each other um so i really like some of the philosophical underpinnings of of large-scale scrum i definitely think it's something to 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 explore more of i was really excited by uh by what i had uh discovered so training so i haven't um done either of those trainings i haven't done uh anything with safe and nor have i done anything with craig larman i know craig should be coming back to orange county uh southern california here Coach, uh, yeah, somewhere Sam. around September thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, something like right, that, for yep. three days. Three days. Uh, so I'll Monday, put Monday, I'll, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I'll put okay, the twelfth to the fourteenth. I'll put mm-hmm. a link to um, that information on the show notes as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I do know a bit about safe, and you know, the big picture. Obviously, yeah. it's, it's very visible. <laughs> the poster is easy to understand, right. um, yeah. and pretty much it's all there. But as you said, it's all very prescriptive, which is not a bad thing. But it, it shows you how it's done and you click on the website and anyway, you click on any of the parts of the picture and you can drill down into a description of each of the roles and each of the why the cadence is important why the release train is important things like that but the mechanics of it because mm-hmm. i've been doing it in the organization that i've been coaching in right now and we've been doing it and uh and very large programs so we're talking about we're, we're talking multiple teams we're talking six seven eight teams we're talking you know, twelve to sixteen million dollar programs. You know, at that level uh, per year. So teams or um, trains? You're talking about? Like, well, yeah, yeah. The, okay. Well, the, I, I'm talking about these teams are on the release train, okay? okay. But we're talking about um, very, very large programs, and um, there's a lot of challenges that uh, that go into trying to layer on and get everybody to, marching to the same mm-hmm. cadence, because yeah. really. It's just a bunch of meetings, right? Who's in the meetings? Who's going to be there? Who's going to do what in all these different meetings that are happening? I mean, that's kind of what this is. It's like, okay, so we're going to have a bunch of meetings, and we're going to have meetings at the team level, and there's meetings at the program meeting, and these meetings are going to meet twice a week, and these meetings are going to be, you know, every day, and all these different things are happening. All these different activities are happening. Need to be coordinated. Are the and, developers in all in a lot of meetings? Well, too, they're in. The, they're, I mean, they're in their normal scrum meetings, okay. and they're in their backlog refinement, you know, meetings that they're having at their team level. But when you are now, you know, layering on top of this coordination aspect, now there's even more meetings, and so now when people are in meetings, they're not. Program. I mean, so yeah, it's just it's just now, you know, like with one of the things that Les says is you're going to integrate every sprint. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, wow. okay, Absolutely. wow. I, I mean, like it's that. just like okay, so so it's forcing you. It's really forcing you to to integrate every sprint. It's really figure out whatever you're going to bring it home. The we value working software. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's really, I mean, I loved it. I mean, I just I just can't say enough things about it. I don't think though that a lot of organizations are going to be able to really implement it successfully right out the door. I think that it's going to really. I think mm-hmm. I think yeah. safe is probably a, an easier sell. I'm from my, my hunch tells me that, but mm-hmm. um, I have no factual basis to base that on. I think your hunch just, and probably a lot of data that's but, out there that we we don't have. But I I, I think that like if I if I was going to do a, 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 a transformation, yeah. I would 
I would certainly try to find pockets within my organization mm-hmm. to do uh, and explore doing less, but it requires a lot of maturity yeah, you know, yeah, on that yeah, level. Exactly. Um, certainly, I'm excited by what is possible with that, um, yeah. but uh, I think that for all the the other folks out there that are the noobs, <laughs> you know, that he could stick uh, with I wonder if anyone's um, addressed the topic of uh, transitioning from safe to less, like using yeah, it as a, a metaphor, yeah. like safe is your kind of like your training wheels yeah. for a shoe. Yeah, and I don't know if that's even appropriate, well, but it sounds like I don't know. I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly what I'm seeing is that like safe people kind of get just because it's more of this same yeah i don't know i mean i it, it took me a while to just kind of connect all the dots and all the different moving parts on it because mm-hmm. it's you know it's you once you once you wrap your head around the whole thing it makes sense i mean it makes it and it's empirical so i mean they didn't just create i mean it wasn't just dean and and alex you know coming up with this you know out of a, in a silo i mean they were using empirical evidence from companies big companies yeah. you know like they were mitchell, working with mitchell down they were here. working with nokia i mean yeah. we're working with big companies that and john you know coming mm-hmm. up with really good empirical feedback mm-hmm. and then incorporating back into the framework. So I think it's very valid, uh, like how companies responded to this situation, built, built it back into the framework. Fine, you yeah. know. Um, but I'm just saying there's this other thing here, less. I was really excited about that too. You know, they're just different. It's just like saying, which would you, you know, they're just very very different approaches. Should, I was excited by less because yeah, I felt like mm-hmm. less was, I felt like less was more philosophically agile. Philosophically agile. I felt like yeah. less was leaner, more leaner, agile yeah. than yeah. safe, but I don't know if, if companies can adopt less easily. Right. It's yeah. really more of an organizational transformation yeah. design Paradigm shift, which yeah. is a loop back yeah. to our earlier yeah. conversation. Yeah. That if you want to become an agile organization, it is a organizational transformation. Right, but Safe, you've got to change the structure. Structure, right? And that's what Les is really saying: is like, look, we got to change the structure if we want to get the culture change. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Safe, you're just slapping on this thing on, on top, top of everything yep. else, and you're making it work. Yep. But you're not really kicking the beehive like Les does. <laughs> you know what I mean? The thing, the thing I look at with, with SAFE, my read of it, because I'm not certified in any of that stuff. All I've done is just read read yeah. about these things and talk to people who have yeah. been doing it. Is SAFE lets the current organizational members stay right where they are. They just put a different label on themselves. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. So you're like your program managers, yeah. your portfolio managers... Mm-hmm. Become more like your release train engineer, assuming that you can make the mindset mind shift right, right from command and control to more empowerment, and yep. assuming ideally that they've done some scrum training and some agile training on the side, mm-hmm. and they've embodied this how how to be. Right. Um, those roles become more of that that the program level, and then your business analysts, you know, would work and become product owners with a product management mm-hmm. group. Group, the project, uh, a product manager, 
and some product owners that then help to coordinate across the different teams the right. actual um, the actual features, capabilities, and user stories. Now, remember, I mean, Scrum doesn't talk about features, capabilities, and user stories. I mean, you don't have that concept in Scrum, but you have now all these different concepts mm-hmm. when you're trying to scale like this in multiple multiple teams, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah. Well, I think that brings us to the end. That was that was riveting again. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm learning uh, learning more, and now I, I do want to go to Craig Larman's uh, class one of these days. I won't get to go there in September, but before long. Um, brings us to the end of the topic and, and, and the podcast. Uh, have you worked in a less environment? No, not yet. Yeah. No, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds <laughs> yeah, like who wouldn't? Uh, like no, I'd love to. I've, I've actually, you know? I've actually um, had some discussions with um, yeah. a couple of key people at my organization yeah. to to find some opportunities in which uh, you know that right. could be possible. And I think that there is um, a couple of others like like myself within my organization yeah. that um, sees the value of of less and what that might be able to bring to a small you know program. Um, right, because you know, Brett Brett's working in a very large organization that uses a a version. A kind of customized version of safe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but but very large, and so you yeah. can find pilot areas, pockets yeah. to do a pilot. You know, and find the right maturity. Exactly. And, and we there yeah. are teams that use Kanban, and you know, yeah. successfully. So yeah. I mean, anything's possible. So well, Kanban's a part of safe now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting stuff. So um, so let us know uh, if you're familiar with less, if you've used that in the workplace, uh, safe. If you're using that to the scaled agile framework. Uh, use the hashtag on Twitter, uh, tell Agile Coffee, and become part of the conversation. Well, guys, I think today was a, a fine day to celebrate episode 15. <laughs> yes. 50. 50. 50. Episode Congratulations. 50. Congratulations. Congratulations to all of us and, and the listeners as well. If you have any feedback you want to give us, reach out to us either on Twitter or uh, send, send us an email. Reach out to us via the website. Go to iTunes or Stitcher. Leave us a review and, uh, and let us know what's on your mind. Um, don't know when the next one of these is going to happen, as we said, but we're sure to have another lively discussion when it does come <laughs> around again. Uh, so I want to wish everyone all the best for the rest of the summer and remind you to enjoy your coffee with friends. Coffee. Coffee.